The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. Again, to it came from the radio, the official the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking. We're here live in front of a live studio audience yes! at the East Meadow Public Library for our 69th live show, courtesy of the East Meadow Public Library. I am here with none other than our senior correspondent, Charlie Saladino. Hello, fun seekers. We have L Man Jenny Felding. Hello. And we're going to have our special guest who we're going to be talking to, with, and about. It is um, comic book creator, uh, Phil Russert. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah! Woo! So before, so before we do that, we have to take it away with the news. It's Morphin Time! The news is brought to you in part by the fine folks of Sci-Fi That Radio. That's Sci-Fi for your Wi-Fi. As well as the fine folks of the Big Apple Con, which we are the official radio show of, celebrating over 27, eight years of comic and pop culture stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. The next convention is scheduled for December the 16th. It is the Christmas, uh, Big Apple Christmas Con. And tickets, I believe, are on sale right now. Also, I want to give our patrons a shout-out, of which there are. Danny Grillo, award-winning director Jared Burrell, Kyle Horn, Millie Portez, Newsday Famous Dresden Media, Unchikun, Shadow Rabbit Art, Yasmin Array, Rosa, and the Huracan. You want to have your own little shout-out, go to our website, www.camefromradio.com, and you can just for a dollar a month and get a shout-out on our show. Alright, so as always, we start off with the sad news, and we have one bit of sad news for this week. Um, actor... Treat Williams, known professionally as, wait, actor Richard Treat Williams, sorry, known professionally as just Treat Williams, died recently from injuries stemming from a motorcycle collision. While appearing in a slew of movies and TV shows and made-for-TV movies, which are too many to name here, Treat is perhaps most famous for his roles in Dead Heat, The Phantom, Mulholland Falls, and The Substitutes Part 2, 3, and 4, taking over the role from Tom Berger as a Vietnam vet who becomes a high school, college, and military school substitute teacher who fights crime. Um, I remember the Substitute series. It was like a mainstay of the 90s. Uh, Charlie, you remember uh, the Substitute series? No. <laughs> I'm not going to actually tell man Jenny Feldy. So, Feldy, do you remember yes, I do. the Substitute? Yeah, I love the first two. You're only the first two? I didn't think I got to three, but I like the first two. Well, wh- why Why did you stop after the second one? I don't know if I realized there was a third and fourth, but now I'll go back and check. <laughs> All right, so he was 71 years old. So Do moving you think on. that he knew there was a risk of death when he got on that motorcycle that day? I, I mean, I think you always know that there's well, a, a risk. People think that they're not, you know, they're, nothing can happen to them. They're untouchable. You always know that there's a risk. It might be something that's in the back of your head, but it's always a risk. Um, I've always uh, imagined... There was a movie 
um, that everybody had a floating number that was like their death number. Oh. And um, well, I forget what the name of the movie was. Oh, I remember. Yeah. And when it goes down, they got to get some... Uh, yeah, so yeah. There was the person saw their death number used to change depending on what they did. And, and when it reached zero, they died. That was like a countdown. I forget the name, but that's kind of what I always invention. Whenever you do that. Nick of, Nick of Time was uh, Johnny Depp in the live, uh, okay. the live, um, the live action, live action, the live timing movie, it was an hour and a half movie and the movie took place an hour and a half. Oh, okay. And that was called Nick of Time because the time traveling, the time uh, gimmick of the movie. All right, so let's move on. From the, let's see. Ooh. From the, what does it really mean department? None other than the Internet Movie Database has made changes to its rating system for Disney's live-action remake of The Little Mermaid due to roughly 39% of over the 41,000 reviews being of low ratings and negative reviews by users. IMDb says, Rating rating mechanism has detected unusual voting activity on this title. To preserve the reliability of our rating system, an alternate weighing calculation has been applied. Not all votes have the same impact or weight on the final rating. When unusual voting activity is detected, an alternative weighting calculation may be applied in order to preserve the reliability of our system. So it's something that you have to think about because the Internet has a website where people can rate movies. Does it really mean anything if it has a low rating on a website? Then it does not? What do you think about that, Phil? I think people should think for themselves. Go see the movie for yourself and form your own opinion. If you, I mean, people have different styles and tastes and interests. And I've seen people say Shawshank Redemption was a boring movie, and I think it's one of the best movies ever written. So, I mean... Everything, art and creativity is subject, subjective, uh, so that means in, it's individual. So I don't pay any mind to, to ratings. I go see for myself. Same. Same then? Whether it's a rotten tomato or a fresh tomato, hmm. I don't care. What about you, Charlie? What do you think about the whole I, rating system? I, I agree with Phil. It's, it make up your own mind. And that's why we're called individuals. We make up our own minds. I think that people can, it's a tool that people want to use to either validate whatever argument that they have to say. So like if the movie has bad ratings, like, oh, well, this movie was bad. Look, it has the bad ratings. And I think that's all. But people don't realize that it's just a small amount of people who took the time to go on this website to vote. It does not necessarily mean, A, that it will enhance or take away from your enjoyment of the movie. And B, what the majority of the people think. It only reflects the people who actually took the time out to go on a website to place the vote. But the and problem people is a lot of people that. jump on bandwagons, and if once they see, oh, a few people don't like it, and just because they assume it's not going to be good, they'll jump on the bandwagon, and now it becomes a forest fire that should have been just a brush fire, and it's not fair to those creators creating... Um, because you, know, you have people espousing opinions that they didn't even see the movie. Right. <laughs> I just have one question. Why is IMDb changing their system because The Little Mermaid didn't get good review? Like, are they... Just are they, that. Are they, are they, are they, are they in cahoots with them? 
them? Like, why no, do they so care? No, so they, they are upset. I mean, my movies that, won't get bad reviews. They're not going to change their upset. rating system. It's because yeah. it's Disney, and they want to have a popular yeah. vote. Yeah. And Disney because Monopoly. their movies must be all positive. Disney China. Good, bad, or indifferent. And if you don't like that movie, all of a sudden it becomes a political statement, okay. as opposed to just right. not liking the movie. Right. I'm just confirming. So that. they are... But on the other end, you know Disney's going to have their people that they plant out there that make sure that they say great things about mm-hmm. the movies. So again, another reason why not to take it, take it with a grain of salt and just go find out for yourself because no one's being sincere anyway. Right. So speaking of money in the movies, uh, from the that's a lot of nuts department, the new Transformers live action sequel has taken the number one spot in the domestic box office pulling in $61 million in ticket sales in its first week of release, knocking off the new Spider-Man animated film, which came in at number two, which made an additional $55 million in its second week of release. For those of you keeping track, the Super Mario Brothers movie is still the highest-grossing film of this year with $570.5 million and counting dollars, followed by the new Guardians of the Galaxy sequel with $336.5 million, uh, what makes that interesting is that Guardians has been in theater for only six weeks and originally came in at number seven spot and it moved all the way up to the number two spot within those six weeks. Uh, Spider-Man in just two weeks holds the number four spot and Transformers comes in at number 15. Um, I think that even the amount of money may not be the ultimate qualifier, but at least it, that's what the studios need to care about if their movie made money. Good, better, and different of these movies if they made the money, then they're going to make more. That's the only validating thing you can think of. It doesn't matter the reviews. It doesn't matter the ratings. It's how much money did it make, how much money did it cost, what's the net, they're going to make another one. Do you yeah. agree? Sure. I do think, though, that numbers aren't what they used to be because you, you have inflated ticket prices now. It's kind of like in the comic industry, right? You know, oh, they could say we sold 134,000 Batman books. Well, that's because you had four variant covers and you had people buy the same book four times. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they fudge the numbers, you know, what were, were the ticket prices, you know, at the time? Or was there streaming at the same, your options at the same time? So the industry has changed so much to try to, uh, fluff an appearance than anything that, you know, you, again, Numbers may look poor, maybe they're not as poor. Numbers may look great, maybe they're not as great. It, it all boils down to how many people are in the seat, you know, I, for following, because that's what's going to garner revenue at some point, right, the more people you have. Because after a while, if you have less people but they're paying more, that's only going to last so long. That's not sustainable. So, Well, I believe if any of that revenue um, is going in any of our pockets, then we should care. Exactly. If not, I don't give a rat's... Okay. We share a brain. <laughs> so moving on. Let's see what Hashtag, I got. who cares? Oh, and I'd like to say another thing. When you said, for all you people keeping track, I would like to say, for all you people keeping track of those figures, get a life. Exactly. Who's keeping track? Like, like... No, it's all about prestige. Maybe my dog is keeping track. Maybe that's what she's thinking about when I look into her eyes. I always wonder what she's thinking about. Maybe she's thinking about the numbers of Spider-Man. What did Spider-Man (laughs) go? I'm never going to brush my teeth. (laughs) 
It's, like, it's, all, it's all about it's all about appearance, right? I mean, we use numbers and we use all these statistics just to appear to be more than maybe we are, and everybody does it on some level. Because let's face it, people follow what they consider success stories, right? Uh, that's why you have your hierarchies in, in in the industry, right? You could have someone who hasn't put out something good in ten years, but they're still a super megastar because of what they did 20 years ago, they're going to garner that trust and that, that following. Mm-hmm. You could have someone that doesn't have a name was putting out something amazing. <clears throat> and, um, you know, you're struggling because you don't have that branding. And branding is is the biggest thing at this point. And even athletes, you're not selling anything but your brand, who you are, and your prestige. Sure. Because people follow that. There's celebrity worship all over the country. All you gotta do is make a tape up with a, a word in front of it that rhymes with Max. You'll be fine. <laughs> That's all you gotta do, see? So speaking of prestige, from the, the crossover no one asked for department, <laughs> none other than IDW and Dark Horse Comics has announced a four issue Stranger Things Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles crossover limited series. <laughs> so cool. Which is described as <clears throat> the four issue crossover will bring Eleven, Max, Dustin, and Mike, Will, and Lucas to New York in 1985 as they try to take a break from the insanity of their hometown Hawkins. However, it won't be long before the kids run into the heroes in a half shell and the common threat that unite these characters is both bizarre and familiar. Uh, the comic is inspired by the Playmates uh, Netflix crossover toy line of the same name that came out last year in July. Uh, issue uh, number one with the stands in this year of July. Do you want to see... Yes. You, you want to see Turtles and Stranger Things together? I didn't want to see Stranger Things. My friend just shot with the Stranger Things. Good for him. I don't care. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Stranger Things, hello, yeah. That sounds pretty cool. Alright, what, do you want to see that? No! <laughs> <laughs> That's IDW no. trying to recover from what's going on, losing licenses and, and, uh, letting go of staff and trying to stay relevant. And that's Dark Horse mm. trying to increase the sales on that title that's probably not doing as much as they'd like. Do you want to read it? I couldn't care. Less. <laughs> no, I'm not going to read it. Oh, I'll watch it. I couldn't care less. Or someone could read it to me. I'm well, let's watch the it. numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All you people keeping track, let us yeah. know. <laughs> we should make it into a movie. <laughs> Don't give them any ideas, please. Uh, yeah. I would, no. So actually, so speaking of numbers, this is actually a very interesting uh, little bit. From the, despite the evidence or lack thereof, the show was a hit department. At a recent media festival, none other than Amazon Studios said that it's Joe and Anthony Russo produced, Richard Madden and Priyanka Chopra Jonas starring, six-episode spy series Citadel, which cost the company $300 million to produce, just needs a little more time to catch up in the States. The executives say, I think you'll start to see the audience start to respond differently as it goes on in the U.S. We are very jaded and watch everything with a few, with a discerning, discerning eye. Like, hmm, that season wasn't as good as the last one. I think Citadel just needs more time to grow. I can tell you from a creative perspective, for me, it's a victory because the show was conceived to be able to speak to the world. Now, are you guys familiar with the Citadel TV series? No. 
No. We had one no, we had two no. No, okay. The Citadel was a, the Anthony, the Russo brothers are the guys who made, uh, Endgame, uh, Civil War, right. and they have now a production company because they made a whole big bag of money. So they decided that they're going to have a universe building spy series without knowing what the series is going to be about, but they wanted, that's what the plan. So they made a, a TV show about that that's supposed to have uh, a France version, an Italy version, or a Russian version, all that type of different stuff. But the head one was the Priyanka, jo- uh, Priyanka Chopra Jonas and Richard Madden series. Now, I was lucky enough, because I'm pressed, to get a, a, a view of the show in its inception. And from what it was, is absolutely nothing like what actually aired. Because the producers got switched, and they, they cut a lot of story, because it was more story about the future and spies, and now it's just a regular spy action type thing. And if, because I know of the original version, when I see the new version, they're saying things that have been cut, but they reference things that were in the original version. Like, uh, for one example, one of the characters had died, in the original version, but the new version didn't. And because they were doing reshoots and it was a, a production that they wanted to make happen, they cost $300 million. And then when it came out, nobody cared, nobody watched it, but they're saying it's still a hit. That's crazy. Well, it's hard to admit defeat when you invest all that kind of money and then it just doesn't make you look good as a public, as a production company either, which goes back to what I said about reputation. You know, appearance is everything. I mean, look at Hollywood is about appearance. It's not real. So, you know, why would they be real about that? <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah. don't look at me. Nothing. All right. <laughs> they really said it was a hit, though, and they had, like, no numbers? They, there was no numbers, no reportable numbers okay. from Amazon Studios because of streaming. They, they would release the numbers, and they didn't release the numbers. Okay. So there, there's, no, there's no proof that anybody watched this show. Beyond me. Well, isn't there a saying, if you say a lie enough times, people it will become the, the truth? truth? Yeah, that's my ex-boyfriend's way of looking. <laughs> the only way that will work is if we go back to retro TV where in the summer they put the reruns on and people get to watch right. another show in reruns. And that's how All in the Family became a hit from the reruns. Yeah, yeah. The problem is, though, Hollywood, creative types, nobody wants to take a, a risk of any kind anymore. They're constantly playing it safe to where sometimes it's a smart business decision and sometimes you're missing out. You know, you're altering stories, you're changing right. things, you're spending all this money. Sometimes you should take a risk. Yeah. So finally, a final bit of news. From the... On a previous episode of our show, we mentioned the three to five thousand dollar a night per person Star Wars themed resort hotel experience called Star Wars Galaxy Star Cruiser and how lackluster reviews for the price paid. It turns out that after only a year of operation, they are shutting down for cost cutting measures. Executives say, <clears throat> Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is one of our most creative projects ever and has been praised by our guests and recognized as a setting a new bar for innovation and immersive entertainment. This premium boutique experience 
gave us the opportunity to try new things on a smaller scale, and out of a hundred rooms, and prepare for its final voyage, we will take what we've learned to create future experiences that can reach more of our guests and fans. Now, we mentioned originally, the reviewers were saying that the hotel's, uh, that quote, the hotel's interior scale just doesn't match up to the grand ship design shown in the marketing materials. Uh, they expected the atrium to be taller, the banquet hall needed to be wider. Uh, other people said it had minimal spaces, like the hallways and stairwells feel particularly sterile, and wandering around a suburban junior high school built in the <laughs> mid-1970s. Uh, the staterooms are entirely too small, falling somewhere between the narrow cabins of a Disney cruise ship and a basic hotel room in a Disney World Resort Hotel. Uh, the rooms have a digital display showing outer space with no real view of outside world, folks. Needing some fresh air can, however, visit an outdoor communal space called a climate simulator. And also, Disney went all in on an experience that seemingly puts only the wealthiest guests inside a windowsless bunker for two days. Wow. Are you guys familiar with the Star Cruiser? Yeah, but let me tell you something. For that money, unless I walk out with Jedi powers, it yeah. is not worth it. You better grant me Jedi powers for me to spend that kind of money. So, for three to five thousand dollars a person, That's crazy. kids are not free. You know, the family yeah. goes, you're paying multiple thousands of dollars per night. Three to five thousand dollars, you're supposed to have an immersive Star Wars experience. You know, four vacations <laughs> As opposed to just... I better get a droid. <laughs> I mean, like, a, a full-on translator droid or something. C-3PO better come home with me. Something. That's just crazy. But, so, the people who they thought was the target audience, which are people with a giant bag load of money, who just happen to want, love Star Wars, and can spend that type of money, obviously was not paying enough because they decided to close But it, it shows they're so out of touch with who their fan base is. It's the average family. It's the average... Joe, so to speak, that, you know, buys all their apparel and goes to their movies, and we don't have that disposable income. And you're trying to milk something that, that cow is dry. I mean, you know, they just don't know their fan base. But that's, that's Disney for you. Disney tries to just, like you said, I'm not going to be Brooklyn, I'm going to... <laughs> just tries to milk everything out of anything. Yeah. Like you said, because of... Oversaturation of death. Yeah. It's, it's well, you crazy. know what? One of the only stocks I own personally, Disney. So thanks, Disney, for always looking out for the bottom line. <laughs> and nothing else! Make me money, Disney! So you encourage them to build another $3,000 or $5,000 a night? Okay. Experience? Make the stockholders happy. Okay, but now I'm going to change my side, too. <laughs> I can't stand Star Wars. I've only... My first... Listen, I went on one... I went on one date. It, it was a disaster. I've on very few dates in my life. Was it a Star Wars And it was Wars a Star date? Wars prequel, and I was so bored, and I didn't... I hated it, and I gave it one more try, and the favorite part about the entire movie was going to the bathroom. And that's maybe how I, how the people who left this hotel feel. I say, you know what? I, I took a nice tea, you know, had a nice release, and that's it. <laughs> For $5,000? I mean, that must be a life-changing bowel movement. <laughs> well, you know, we, what do we enjoy in life, you know? <laughs> All right, so. Is that at least like a Darth Vader toilet or something? <laughs> no, apparently it was a very minimalistic uh, hotel room. Very small. For that money, you can go to a production company. <laughs> Make or your house. Or your house. Right. Set up 
with the same kind of stuff, right. only bigger and more space. That's so true. Stay home. Make your own stuff. Stay home. So experience at home. So think about it. It's Every time you open the bathroom door, just hear, Luke, I'm your father. Anything. I'll do it. That's $10,000 per person, because remember, it's a two-night stay. Yeah. So that's $10,000 you're paying just to go. How much renovation can you do in your house for that? A lot. I'm just saying, like I said, I better come home with a droid, lightsabers, and Jedi powers, because that's just ridiculous. So, but you gotta give them credit for trying, because if you don't ask, the answer is always no, and they ask for a lot of money, and you know, I mean, no. maybe they made some profit. No, they're shutting it down. If they were making profit, and, yeah, but, but you, know you guys have to understand the write-offs that they get for the failure is more than we'll ever see in a lifetime, too. So they're like, okay, whatever. We tried, we tried to get them, we didn't get it, but now we're going to write everything off, and we're going to—they're going to get most of that money back yeah. with loopholes, tax loopholes, etc. So, so the stockholder is happy. Exactly. <laughs> Thank so, you. with that, we're going to take our break uh, in front of a live studio audience. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> they weren't prepared. <laughs> Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now, we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or a product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. Hi everyone, this is Tom Christopher. I had played Hawk on Buck Rogers on the 25th century, and you are listening to It Came From Radio. Hey kids, this is CJ Ramon of the world famous Ramones, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. This is Sherilyn Fenn, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. I'm Nathan Booth from Ben and Apple TV, and you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Now, back to our show. And welcome back to It Came From The Radio, the official of the Big Apple Cons. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking. We are here in front of a live studio audience. There we go. For our 69th live show, courtesy of the East Meadow Public Library, where they have tons and tons of uh, programming, um, one of which is our show, which is the second Wednesday of every month. Um, I'm here with our senior correspondent, Charlie Saladino. Hey, how are you? We are here with L-Man Jenny Kelly. What do you want? And we're here with our special guest we're going to talk to with and about, which is awesome and makes our life so much easier that he's here, <laughs> Mr. Phil Russell. <laughs> So, Phil, um, I've known you for quite some time. I would say not including the pandemic, like a good five years, five, six years, maybe a little longer. Yeah, six years, not 2017. So I met you, and you were a fan of comics. You were a huge fan of comics. Then you became a convention organizer. Mm -hmm. Then you became a comic book creator. What's the next step? You're going to start making movies? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, no, but um, I'm one of those people that instead of complaining about things I don't like in a certain industry, just go do it yourself and do it right. Yeah. I'm also an art rep. When I don't like how an industry or something is going, you can complain and then keep feeding the beast while you're complaining, or you can try to, to be uh, an innovator mm -hmm. and a trendsetter and do it the way you think you should do it and give it your best. Don't hate the media, become the media. <laughs> Can you explain what an art rep does, for those of you who don't know? 
So think of like an agent for an actor. Artists, they, they don't want to do the business side of things. They want to draw. They, they want to create, which is totally understandable. So looking for work, dealing with contracts, dealing with negotiating rates, uh, they leave that to me. I get a percentage, of course, and uh, I get them work. I get them, um, you know, I try to help build their brand, their following, and um, I get them paid. So you're a marketing guy, agent slash everything. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I'm the guy that has the banjo, the bass drum, the, the snare, the, <laughs> the cowbell. What are, some, what are some stories that you would like to promote? Like, what do you wish someone would write and you'd be like, oh, I'd love to promote that. I really want to see that out there right now. More fantasy, like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you know, things like Lord of the Rings, but on that quality level, you don't story see a lot of that. Any storylines on that? Um, I haven't had any yet, uh, but I've had people submit to my publish, publishing company. As a matter of fact, I have four at home that came in this week that I have to look at, and one of them is fantasy, so um, I'm looking forward to reading it, actually, and hoping that it's uh, it's up to snuff. What do you uh, what do you look for when you're reading something? <clears throat> What's the thing that's going to say, yeah, this is good? Well, you know, I have a different approach than uh, based on what I said before. I am a risk taker. You can ask my wife; she sweats through that quite a bit, um, and I'm pretty fearless with taking risks. So I want to see something that, even if it's a trope that's been done before, if it's written in an original way. Um, but the biggest hook for me is. Your characters have to have some sort of relatable quality. As human beings, whatever the setting is, if you can relate to that character and you can feel their triumphs and their failures, that you're, and you can sit there and it, it, it touches you in a way where what you're going through in your life, you're hooked. I mean, look at all the stories that you enjoy. Something hooked you emotionally. And it's something, it's usually a pain that you share. But sometimes, like Rocky, it's that the triumph and that victory that you can vicariously live through with them. And if you can provide that kind of human story, the backdrop is just extra. So speaking of connecting, um, your stories, for the ones that I remember, which is the dynamics, this is about the superhero family, which Mm -hmm. is based on your family. Yes. And tragedy, which is about a uh, a female assassin who's a uh, ballet dancer. Right? Yes. Who's uh, based on your wife, who's also part of your family. Loosely based on my wife, yes. <laughs> because I've never met a woman that realized how beautiful and how strong and how capable she was. Um, and the right men in life will remind them when they forget. Uh, and I wanted to write... I feel like Hollywood right now is writing women poorly. They're flawless. And that's an insult to women. Because women go through so many challenges that men won't ever go through, just physically. Um... And I think the strength of a woman is that she goes through all these and may feel like she wants to just take a knee and quit, but she doesn't. That's what a hero is. That's what strength is. It's not, strength is easy when, it's easy to come by when you're not facing moments of weakness or insecurity. What makes you strong is you face it and you say, okay, this is what I'm dealing with, but what else you got? Sure. I mean, Rocky even said, it's not about winning the fight. It's knowing that I can be standing when that bell rings in the last bout, in the last round, against the greatest fighter in the world. And no matter how much I get my rear end handed to me, if I'm still standing when that bell rings, I succeeded. Yeah.
That's what Caddyshack says. He said, <laughs> it's easy to grin when your ship comes in and you've got the stock market beat. But the man worthwhile is the man who can smile when his pants are too tight in his seat. And I used to be overweight and my pants are always tight. And it's, it's really just a hard way to go through your day when everything's real tight in the seat. So what type of, what type of things does tragedy, based on loosely on your wife, overcome? Again, it's loosely, so don't read too much into it as if this is strictly my wife's history of life. But in the book, um, her father was the head of the Irish Mafia, and he was uh, he, he kept her away from that. Her mother died at birth, and they had a close bond, and he took her to theater where she learned to love theater and ballet, etc. But her father was killed, and that's a story that evolves later. And she was adopted by his right-hand man, and unfortunately, because they couldn't have children, him and his wife, and unfortunately, he sent her away to be an assassin. She went away for 12 years at the age of 17 to train. She did two years with a military person and 10 years at a, an ancient Chinese monastery where she learned martial arts, mysticism, focusing her chi. Um, and... This book takes place two years after she returned from that, and we have some flashbacks to tell story and things of that nature. Her adoptive father is a sociopath. She lost her father, and she wants and needs the love and respect of this man, even though she knows she shouldn't. And it's this vicious cycle of her not liking herself the more she realizes, I shouldn't need and want this, but why do I? And she does all these things that she lives this life she doesn't want to live for that. And how many of us have been in relationships where we really know we deserve better, but for whatever reason, we're, we're not leaving. And the more you don't leave, the more you hate yourself for that quote-unquote weakness. And you start to have these doubts and these fears. While she's fighting rival mafias and metahumans and dealing with Chinese mysticism, it's kind of like Kill Bill... Um, John Wick, Boondock Saints, and Big Trouble in Little China thrown into a blender. Um, So she's really facing these inner struggles that most of us face, getting up and facing a world and a day that she just doesn't want to. How many of us every day, the alarm goes off and we kind of just want to stay in the fetal position under the covers? But your strength is you get up and you face that day anyway, and whatever comes at you, you do it. Because you have two choices, right? Get busy living or get busy dying. Mm -hmm. And she's not looking to die. But she doesn't know how to find the life she wants. And she meets someone that introduces that aspect in her life, but she's guarded. She's she's afraid. So she keeps people at arm's length. And her her journey is to start trusting and letting go and believing in herself at the same time. Again, with a lot of action though, and there's a lot of I'm tired of superhero books where they're all standing around talking and having mm-hmm. crumpets. <laughs> You're wearing spandex for a reason. Go kick somebody's rear end. You know? <laughs> so there's a lot of action as well. <clears throat> and the art is really cool. I remember when I first saw you work. The artwork of her is so cool. Because she just looks, I don't know, I would want to dress like that. It's really <laughs> cool. It's not really cheesy. She looks, uh, I don't know, she looks like something a designer would want to draw from. Well, you know, people never use red and white motif colors in superheroes really and I and red is actually despite me being partially colorblind is the color that attracts the eye so I had this vision of this suit and it's got military aspects to it it's got uh, Asian armor aspects to it ballerina 
Yeah, and and I just felt it was it just fit, you know, it was just perfect. And I don't like look, I'm not against people who do this, you do you, but I do not sexualize my female protagonist because a woman's strength is not in her breasts. It's in her heart and her mind. And besides, you're an assassin. Why would you have you wanna get shot at cleavage? <laughs> you're gonna be zipping up to the neck with that bulletproof armor, right? But she doesn't even though you say that, you know, for radio listeners, if you look at it, I mean she's definitely attractive. She's feminine. And there's this seductive quality there, but just like me, I don't use my, my boobs to get attention. Uh because I was a trainer and you know, unless you're doing a lot of pec exercises, it really doesn't show off work. If you show your legs, well that takes work. If you show your butt, that takes a lot of work. But showing your boobs, I'm sorry, it just it's just stupid and I don't like when I see it. So that you made a really good point. It's just dumb. Again, you could be feminine without being sexualized. You know, there's yeah. a difference. A, a woman could wear sweatpants and a baseball cap and be just the most feminine, sexy, beautiful woman on the planet. Yeah, absolutely right. I always said that about Ashley Judge. You could be in a burlap bag. Right. She's like sexy. <laughs> Just her face. You're absolutely right. True. So now that we know your fantasy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Makes sense. <clears throat> so in today's day and age, as we are well aware, there's the whole women should only write women characters, people of color should only write people of color characters. You are writing a female character. Now, yes, it's based on your wife, and unless she's ghostwriting, you are a male writing a female character. Do you think that that is a benefit or a detriment to you as of right oh, now? Hold on, Mark. Yes. We didn't confirm that he identifies as male. <laughs> so before we go any further, are you a male writing a female character? And does tragedy identify as female? I, she's a female. I'm a male. And okay. that's where it goes. Okay. Um, I think it's nonsense to think that you can't write uh, something else uh, because that's just ignorance. And besides, how better, what a be, what better way to get to know someone else's experience than to look into it and learn about it? I mean, this whole notion of boxing each other in by race or gender or whatever is the total ignorance that separates us. How can we learn from each other and grow if we keep saying, well, you can't because you're not blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I can because we're all human. Mm -hmm. A woman and a man are all human. We have different issues. At, in certain areas. But you know what? I've been married for over a decade. I've dated before. And I'd like to think that I paid attention to women when they spoke to me. <laughs> so I think I'm good enough to try to write a female woman. But what I will say is, buy the book, read it, and you tell me. Yeah. It happened 10 years. I mean, 10 years is something to celebrate. We actually celebrated 12 years on Monday. Congratulations. Yeah, I can't believe she stayed. We were still waiting for the psyche valve. I saw your post. You said you married up. <laughs> oh, I married up. I mean, very beautiful on the outside. I mean. And inside. She's a very humble woman. Love to see love. Did you, uh, did you ever have an idea and all of a sudden she said, ah, yeah. See, that's funny because my wife is the most honest person in the world, but she also doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So when I wrote the first script, it was my first time writing, and I gave it to her. There was a lot of trepidation there. She was scared because she was like, if this stinks, how do I tell my husband this stinks? Yeah. And I will know if she's lying because she can't lie worth a darn. She's just a good, honest, genuine person. Mm -hmm. 
So she read it, and and she, and it didn't. She didn't mean it the way it came out, but she's like, "Oh, this is wow, this is good." <laughs> and she was like, "I'm sorry, I didn't mean it like that." I'm like, no, you did mean it like that, and that's fine. I'm yeah, glad that she yeah. was surprised. I gave you no reason to think it would be any good. The fact that it was. That's great. I, I don't get offended. Look, not everybody's gonna like everything you do. Mm-hmm. But if it, when you're putting yourself out there like this, you better get a tough skin because you yeah. could be the greatest writer in the world, and someone is gonna bash you. Definitely. You know. Yeah. But honestly, um, she's like that. Uh, I've written twenty six, twenty seven issues of tragedy so far, scripts, and she's right. Uh, she says they're all solid. I mean, maybe once in a blue moon she'll say maybe that that dialogue maybe would change that. You know, she gives critique, but. Overall, she, the funny thing is, um, I knew I was doing something right with my father. My father is a very brutal man. Brutal. Ask my wife. Mm-hmm. And he thinks comic books are childish and stupid. And he, he had made a, a, he proofread a grown man, a 68 year old man's book, and made the man cry. Because he's brutal. Mm-hmm. And my mother had convinced my father to read tragedy. He cried because it was just that bad. You know? <laughs> no, it was just that good. My so father bad. was just that brutal in his in his he was critique. So bad he cried. No, he was devastated. My father ripped the book apart. He was mean with my father is brutal, and he's not trying to be, but he's just so bluntly honest that there's no tact involved. <laughs> he doesn't think about this as human being soul and crushing. Wow. He thinks he's doing you a service, which yeah. he is, and he's not. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I, I'm sitting at the table with my wife and. I get an email alert, and it's my father, and I know it's about the book, and I go, oh, no. I better toughen up. Hey, what better way to toughen up? And I read this email, and I just hand the phone. I start to tear. I'm not lying. I start to tear, and I hand the phone over to my wife. She goes, oh, my God, is that your father? I go, yeah. And my wife is like, oh, crap. So she reads it, and she looks at me. She goes, this is your father? I go, yeah. She goes, this is the email address? I go, it's him. You know what he said? It was good. He said that it was really good. The dialogue was like true um, Hell's Kitchen, Manhattan, New York speak. The storyline was excellent, yeah. and he had nothing bad to say, and he wanted to have something bad to say, so yeah. he just critiqued some ground. But he loved it, and he's been reading every issue and printing them up and keeping them. And when this man says I can write, I believe him. <laughs> yeah. No, my mom's like that, and I have to say, like, I, I mean, I'm openly not into comic books. I don't hate on them. I just, you know, right. it's just not a thing. I'm super into health. I have a farm. A lot of people don't want to be in the dark. We all have our interests. No, but when I saw yours over a year ago, it really caught my eye. So, you know, I, and I was kind of thinking a little bit how these, what you've created, it really can appeal to people like me who don't generally care about comic books. So it makes sense. I was expecting this response from your dad. I feel like you would appeal to a different demographic because of the story and because of the art. It's not your cheesy, typical comic book. Well, you know, it's, I also try to do my best to, to give 110%. Again, what you put out there is how you're perceived, right? And I know budgets are tight for people, but if I wasn't able to give what I consider a professional-looking and level-quality book, then I was going to have to wait until I could. Because you get one chance at this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's, it's funny that you mentioned about the critique. Uh, I was at a convention, and I was peddling my own book, and I explained about um, that the aliens put a... They, he infiltrated the hospital, became a neurosurgeon, and performed uh, a surgery to get the... 
uh, chips in their brain. And the guy's like, I'm a nurse. That could never happen. <laughs> and he was just like, he just could not get but over the that. the alien was okay. Yeah, the alien was fine. He just couldn't get over that help. And it just blew my mind. Like, yeah. wow. I can't believe that that was his critique of his criticism. So has, has you I run into something like oh, that? Oh, yeah. First of all, I'm a nurse. And so it's science fiction. You're thinking outside the box and doing something creative. Enjoy it. That's yeah. probably someone who has insecurities and they're exactly. overcompensating. Um, and that's what they're doing. Um, yeah, I run into... I. Believe it or not, thank God, I run into only a few criticisms, but you get really dumb ones. Like, you can tell when someone is cr- giving you a critique to try to help you, and when they're giving a critique just to be a troll, mm-hmm. I guess that's the polite way to put yeah. it. Be- and the best critiques come with a solution. This is what I think doesn't work. This is why I think it doesn't work. I recommend this. Mm-hmm. At least you know the person's being genuine. When someone, but you get the objective, there's the subjective critique, which to me means nothing. It's, well, I would have blah, blah, blah. Okay, then write your own story. We're not asking what you would have done. It's oh, what I did here. You don't like it, it's cool. But that doesn't mean it's bad just because you're not into it. So you got to take it with a grain of salt who's critiquing you and what their motives are. But honestly... As long, if it's something structural or something that really I look at and I go, you know, they got a point and maybe I could, I could fix it. Like Ian Churchill's a major Marvel DC right, uh, artist. I love him. And he, he, I gave him a script. I'm not gonna talk about any more of that right now, but, and he looked at it and he said, you know what, this script is really good. He goes, may I give you a suggestion? <clears throat> and he suggested, um, taking one aspect here and moving it here to start, and he thought it would be nice to keep the story from being too linear. And you know what? He was absolutely right. And I took the suggestion. One, because I have no ego. My ego is about giving the best story. And two, that was a man who was trying to help and made sense. So that's what you listen to. Tune all that other stuff out. Yeah. It's like, you know, when I'm a musician and... You're playing, and somebody comes up to you and goes, you suck. The first thing I say is, why do I suck? I say, tell me what... And they can't. And they can't. But then again, somebody will come up, oh, you know that last measure? Try to do this, and and, and you go, oh, my God, okay. Yeah, so you're absolutely right again with that. You just you can never validate your self worth based on other people's opinions, or you will fall flat every time, and you'll hate yourself. Yeah. yeah. And I actually like myself, and I'm lucky. I got yeah, a great family. Lucky. I'm blessed. Yeah. That's it. Well, so this book, The Devil in the Details, very cool cover. It said, "Has life had you questioning how and why bad people exist?" Now, um. I do think at this age now, after what I've observed in, well, two people, that some people are born as like a bad seed. I've seen their childhood videos and I see what they're doing now. Mm-hmm. And it does seem like some people just are born bad or evil. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think some people are just bad? Sadly, I do. Um, and you know what? When they tell you who they are, believe them. Yeah. Um, you, Why do you say that? You get energy vibes from people, right? There are some people that you just don't feel right around. Yeah. And listen to that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know why it is. Uh, you know, I have my, my ideas and thoughts, but nothing that I can, I can quantify with facts because it's a lot of spiritual stuff. But I think there are some bad souls, and I think there are just some lost souls. They're not bad, they're not good, they're just lost. Some of them are bad, and they leave signs. Yeah. yeah. They're telling you. You're just not listening all the time. Because we won't, yeah. look, I think inherently we do want to believe in the good of things. Even the biggest pessimist is a pessimist because he's disappointed because somewhere he had a better outlook on life. Right. So I think you, you mainly, we really do want to see the best in people. We want to root for people. And that's why we're so hurt when they disappoint us and they're not good or they do something wrong. You know? And because of that, we ignore signs sometimes from people that are telling you, I'm no good. Right. So you said three times now that people tell you. Why do you say that? Do you think that when people are bad, they actually like reveal? Because there is a, like a conspiracy theory that, you know, the evil and the government and the evil in media is that they put it right in front of your faces and they tell you and they show you who they are and it's your choice to engage or not. So yes. that, why do you say that? Because sociopaths and psychopaths are arrogant. They're narcissistic. They think they're the smartest person in the room. And they believe that you'll buy anything they sell. Mm. And that arrogance blinds them. It's kind of like the Star Wars, uh, you know, theme. But, um, and if you pay attention, they're displaying it right in front of you. Absolutely. Sometimes it's in a passive aggressive form and sometimes it's outright aggressive. And you have a choice to either combat that, try to enlighten them, which is not going to work, or avoid them. And the best thing to do is just avoid them. You're not going to change them. And combating them just brings you to that level. You've got to be better mm-hmm. and move on. Yeah, when you, when you play with garbage, you start to smell. Yeah, so don't, there you go. Don't do that. I don't mm-hmm. play with garbage. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people don't understand that from what I've observed. Again, I think it's people <laughs> feel they can get through to you. They think that they're going to help you, you know, see the error of your ways. If people had introspection, they wouldn't need you to show them. So... That's just my thoughts. Yeah, interesting. And the book goes into a lot of that, you know, like a lot of... I I was approaching 50, and I was... I'm a big believer in God. I'm not for organized religion, but I am a believer in God. And I don't knock anybody who's not. That's your journey. You know, go forth and good luck to you. Whatever happens, happens. If it's meant to be, he'll show you he's there. Mm -hmm. That's not for me to decide. Mm -hmm. I'm not arrogant enough to think I speak for God. I think he can handle it himself. But... Um, I, I did wonder, like, why? Why why do we have all these bad things going on? Or even, why is it that we can't enjoy the beauty he's given us on earth because we have to slave at a job we hate? Or, or, or all these human-constructed society rules that are really going against our nature of enjoying life. And I just started to write short stories in different ways, like... One is called Withered, which turns into a comic book. Some of it's spiritual, some of it's just sci-fi. And basically, because God's not in charge, time is not a construct of the human mind. It is actually a malevolent being that imprisoned God and is slowly satiating itself off of our life essence. And that's why we wither and we die over 80 years. Oh, wow. Uh, another one is about um, a 19-year-old that took their own life. And they're facing God, and and he's like, why are you here? And the kid's going through, well, I had such a crappy life. This happened, this happened, this happened. And God's like, you weren't patient. You didn't wait. Good things were coming. 
You know, so some of it's uplifting. And, and then like one is, we're in hell. God gave us to the devil in hell for the duration of 80 years to try to show the devil that we are good. And so is he. To change him, to say, look, you, you are better than this. You know, and that's why he gave us to hell for 80 years to teach the devil he's wrong. So for all those good people out there, um, where can people find your book and more about the stories that you just uh, mentioned? www.philboentertainment.com. Philbo as in P-H-I-L-B-O. Um, if you're wondering, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I have big hobbit feet and my wife nicknamed me Philbo. <laughs> and I like to incorporate my family into everything I do because that's mixing the most important thing in my life with the second most important thing in my life. Family is number one. Always. Absolutely. That's why I did the dynamics. It's based on them. My kids are awesome. My, they have character beyond belief. And uh, I gave them superpowers and we it's did good. it. The dynamics is kind of like uh, a Pixar film. It's like... Uh, it's kind of like uh, Power Pack and, and The Incredibles. You know, that genre, that vein. But written differently. And it's written from a parent's point of view. So... So we're almost out of time. So we have uh, final thoughts. Senior correspondent Charlie Saladino, do you have any final thoughts? Well, my final thought, I'm a big fan of Bill's. So look at these products. Wherever you can get them, get them. That's my final thought. They're well worth the read. Thank you. And and there's actually interesting storylines that make you think, and they're philosophical. And if you're shallow, maybe these are not the books for you. Because these don't seem shallow at all from what I've read and seen. Well, at least there's, there's sword fights and gunplay. If you're shallow, <laughs> just, just fast forward to the fight scenes. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Thank you very much for having me on. I always love coming on this show. It's a great show. Uh, it definitely deserves the fan audience and all the accolades. You've gotten all the big names that you've gotten in the interview. Um, you're good people and... Uh, Charlie is one of the most genuine people I know and uh, fellow drummer. Well, bless you your brother. And um, I, I, I'm thankful to everyone that has helped me make my dream come true and supported these books. And I hope that we can grow from there and continue because I want to change the industry. I want it to be about the little guy and I want it to be about stories and reading again, not foil covers and boobs. So my final thought is this. Um, like I said, Phil, I've known you for quite some time, and it's really an impressive impressive uh, journey that you've gone through. And I wish you continued success, and I want to see another convention. That's, uh, I, I, it should be coming soon, right? Is summer? There'll be one coming. There'll be one coming. All right. I can't really say more than that. I'll check the ground. <laughs> so, <laughs> speaking about bad people. So... <laughs> That about does it for this week on the Kingdom. Doesn't Radio. really do it, Mark. Join us right here any week on this radio station. If you miss any part of this show, Tough. go to our website, www.acamefrenier.com. The archives will be up in a week or so. Um, our next live show, courtesy of the East Middle Public Library, will be our 70th live show on July the 12th with artist Tom Travers, will be our guest. Great He'll guy. be giving away um, some prints, I believe, uh, for the raffle. And uh, as we do, we have a raffle, so we have a... Quickly, I'm going to pull the number out for our raffle. Quickly, there you go. And the number for the prize packet is 544596.
Desde el canto. ¡Eh, oye! So remember, every time you go to www.eastmail.info for our live show, we always have a, a, a awesome guest who gives away stuff in our raffle, in our free raffle, if you just come to be part of the show. So uh, that is it, and we will see you next time. You have been listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast.